0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. I seem to have a bit of a frog in my throat, folks, so uh, enjoy my sexy, deep voice this time. Let's get right into it. Tim Scott has met the requirements to participate in the third Republican primary debate next week. He had met the 4% polling metric, but was struggling to satisfy the 70,000 unique donor requirement his campaign announced Tuesday the goal had been met and he will be on the debate stage. Vivek Ramaswamy, who surprised people at first and drummed up interest among the GOP base, the base that wasn't already anointing Donald Trump at least, appears to have tarnished quite a bit. In a recent Des Moines-registered NBC News Mediacom poll, Vivek found himself trailing Haley, DeSantis, and Scott at just 4%. In a South Carolina poll, the numbers were much worse. Ramaswamy earned one. One percent support. Mike Pence scored two percent, and he dropped out not long after this poll. What happened? Some have suggested that as time passed, his shtick became tired. Perhaps the more he talks, the less he seems to actually know. Maybe being brash and rude is a dance only Trump can pull off. Regardless, his campaign is doing a huge ad-buy that will kick off tomorrow with 8 million aimed at Iowa and 4 million for New Hampshire. He doesn't look to be going gentle into that good night. DeSantis and Haley continue their battle for second with a dead heat in the Iowa poll at 16% each, but in the South Carolina poll, Haley crushes DeSantis, 22% to 11%. As a former governor of South Carolina, it appears they remember her fondly. With independence, the numbers have flipped. In August, DeSantis was chasing Trump's 21% with his 19%, while Haley languished at 10%. Now, Trump has increased his share to 33%, and DeSantis has dropped to 12%, while Haley has surged up to 22%. The numbers suggest one advantage Haley has is she is polling well across multiple demographics, but truly none of the contenders have pulled much, if any, voters away from Trump. Biden's new primary challenger, Dean Phillips, is not exactly coming in hot. In a recent Quinnipiac poll, he only garnered 6%, trailing Marianne Williamson at 8% and Biden at 77%. Dean has loaned his campaign $2 million, saying he would not seek outside fundraising groups working for him, instead focusing on small donors. But stepping out to run for the nomination has shown a light on the Minnesota House member, though. And there are already some interesting tidbits. The Daily Beast is reporting Phillips may have some issues to explain regarding some D.C. property he purchased in 2019 for $1.5 million cash and then immediately borrowed $1.3 million against it. The townhouse is owned by a real estate holding company, a company whose sole member is Dean Phillips. The company also owns Phillips' $2.9 million 37-acre farmhouse estate in Middleburg, Virginia. This holding company is something Phillips forgot to mention on his disclosure reports. For a member of the Ethics Committee, this is doubly concerning. Former Democratic primary challenger and now independent candidate Robert F. Kennedy is likely happy to see his numbers in a recent Quinnipiac University poll on Wednesday. In a three-way matchup between Trump, Biden, and Kennedy, Biden earned 39%, Trump 36%, and Kennedy 22%. Among independents, Biden was at 30%, trailing Trump at 31%, as he trailed Kennedy at 36%. Quinnipiac University polling analyst Tim Malloy said, With minority and younger voters seeming intrigued, Kennedy, for now, enjoys the kind of demographic support his charismatic father and uncles generated decades ago. This is shaping up to be a wild election cycle. Senator Tommy Tuberville continues his hold on approving senior military nominees. The senator wants the Pentagon to reverse its policy of providing leave for members to travel out of state to seek abortions when stationed in a state without legal means to get one. Almost 400 senior military member promotions have been stalled for months by this, creating stress and affecting military readiness at a time least forgiving for troubles in leadership. Normally, these promotions are wrapped up in a single piece of legislation and approved en masse by voice vote. A single senator can place a hold on it, though, and this is what Tuberville is doing. The Senate has tried to convince him to release the hold so the promotions can go through and the military can get back to operations without acting commanders and backed up promotions, but to no avail. Senate Republicans took firmer action Wednesday, holding the floor for four hours, going nominee by nominee, forcing Tuberville to object to each, which he did 61 times. The Senate was able to get three promotions through, but because of the hold and procedures, it took three days and six votes to accomplish. Admiral Lisa Franchetti will lead the Navy and is the first woman to serve as a Pentagon Service Chief and hold a seat on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Alvin will be the Chief of Staff for the U.S. Air Force, and Lieutenant General Christopher Mahoney will serve as the Assistant Commandant for the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps was especially in need. Despite the recent appointment of their new Commandant, he had labored as Acting Commandant while serving as Assistant Commandant. It didn't improve after his confirmation, as his new assistant's confirmation was also being held up. Well, while going for a run Sunday, General Smith suffered a heart attack. Luckily, bystanders called 911 and were able to perform CPR, likely saving his life. Smith is still hospitalized, and with no confirmed assistant commandant to take charge yet, Marine Corps Headquarters Lieutenant General Karsten Heckel has stepped in for now. Last month, the commandant worried that his punishing workload was not sustainable, and now it has nearly killed him because Tommy Tuberville wants to play games. Two Republican House members will not seek reelection next year. Colorado's Ken Buck and Texas's Kay Granger both announced their decisions Wednesday. Kay Granger is a former teacher and two-term mayor of Fort Worth, Texas. She was elected to the House in 1996 and has been there since, making her the longest-serving Republican in the House. She is the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Several of the members of her committee joined her in opposing the Freedom Caucus firebrand Jim Jordan for speaker, and it would be fair to speculate that she organized that block to do so. In her statements, Granger said it is time for the next generation to step up and take the mantle and be a strong and fierce representative for the people. Ken Buck has a storied past. A former college football player... Buck received his Juris Doctor from the University of Wyoming and eventually worked for then-Wyoming Congressman Dick Cheney on the Iran-Contra investigation. After that, Buck worked as a prosecutor for the Department of Justice and eventually joined the Colorado U.S. Attorney's Office. In 2001, his career took a turn for the worst when he met with defense attorneys about a case he felt was not worth pursuing. He was reprimanded and required to take ethics classes and did not last much longer there. Buck was then elected the district attorney for Weld County, and during his time there, he raided a tax preparer because he thought Social Security numbers were being stolen by illegal immigrants. The ACLU sued Buck's office, and the affair cost the county $150,000. In another controversy, Buck refused to prosecute a rape case, even with a taped confession from the assailant, and actually pressured the victim not to pursue it, as reported by the Colorado Independent in 2010. That story made headlines, likely because at the time, Buck was running for United States Senate. He came close but was dragged down by his checkered past. Ken Buck then ran for the House of Representatives, first targeting Democrat Mark Udall's seat. But when fellow Republican Cory Gardner announced he was running for it, Buck pivoted to run for Gardner's seat and won, assuming office in 2014. He won four subsequent re-election bids and serves on the Judiciary and Foreign Affairs Committees. Buck is a member of the hard-right House Freedom Caucus. Despite this association, Buck has not been a very good soldier. In 2020, he did join 125 other Republicans in signing an amicus brief in support of a lawsuit contesting the results of that year's presidential election results, the new Speaker of the House being the leader of that effort. Buck didn't support Republicans trying to challenge the results on January 6th, though, joining six others in voting against that. Buck is also notable for standing with the FBI against the attacks of the previous administration, not supporting the impeachment proceedings against President Biden, and taking the ongoing indictments against Trump actually seriously. Again, sending mixed signals to his far-right buddies, Buck was one of the gang of eight members who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy to light the fuse on the month-long bonfire seeking a new speaker. During that fiasco, however, Buck asked both initial nominees, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, if the 2020 election was legitimate. Both had tried to overturn the results on that fateful day in January and wouldn't answer him, so Buck voted present during the nomination conferences and against his Freedom Caucus leader on the floor. In another past questionable action, Buck was caught pressuring a Colorado Republican Party official to put candidate David Stiver on the primary ballot for the 2020 election for District 10 in Colorado, even though that person did not receive the required 30 percent. The official Eli Bremer stood his ground and was later vindicated. Ironically Bremer ran for the Senate in 2022 but was eliminated at the state convention when he didn't receive the required 30 percent of the vote. For Ken Buck though, as a former lawyer calling from his lofty Washington Heights down to a state level party member trying to get him to falsify official documentation is stunning. It's also a bit hypocritical when Ken Buck seems to suddenly have a newfound respect for election rules. After his announcement this week, Buck later said, Too many Republican leaders are lying to America, claiming that the 2020 election was stolen, describing January 6th as an unguided tour of the Capitol, and asserting that the ensuing prosecutions are weaponization of our justice system. These insidious narratives breed widespread cynicism and erode Americans' confidence in the rule of law. There was no doubt the radical right wing of the Republican Party was coming for him, with unnamed sources saying the knives were out for him, But with Trump calling Buck weak, it would have been nice to see him fight back and make the GOP try to primary him. The first substantive bill under the Mike Johnson administration in the House is already making waves. H.R. 6126, the Israel Security Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2024, gives the Democrats and some Senate Republicans both barrels. First, it separates Israel and Ukraine funding into independent efforts. Despite the desires of the White House and the Senate, this bill only deals with funding for Israel. Second, the speaker wants offsets to pay for it, to take already appropriated funds and redirect them to this effort. This is not a requirement and there are already complaints that it's not necessary and it will slow down the process. Of course, each side of the issue will suggest the other is playing politics, but really it's all politics and they all play it. The funds he wants to redirect, $14.3 billion, are to be taken from the $79.4 billion allocated for the IRS under the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. The Republicans say they are protecting middle-class Americans from a weaponized IRS, and the Democrats say the Republicans are protecting billionaires. The same tropes. The bill passed the House Thursday 226 to 196, with 12 Democrats joining Republicans to pass it. Republicans Marjorie Taylor Greene and Thomas Massey voted against it, however. The bill still has to go down the hall to the Senate where it will not be well received. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York has already called it a joke. In a harsh review of new Speaker Johnson's first major piece of legislation, Schumer said on Thursday his first major legislative effort was not bipartisan at all. And I think he's going to learn the hard way that that doesn't work. The president already said he'd veto it. I said I wouldn't put it on the floor and McConnell didn't go for it either. Yes, Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell supports the idea of rolling Ukraine and Israel funding into one bill as well. Johnson also looks to be planning to tie Ukraine aid to U.S. border security soon. His GOP comrade in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, does agree with that idea. It's clear that new Speaker Mike Johnson is going to play hardball with the impending budget. Continuing resolution expiring in two weeks, an appropriations bill just starting to move through his chamber again, it's a dangerous game to pick a fight with the Democrat-controlled Senate. We'll see how this plays out in the coming weeks. Last week, several actions were queued up to put various members of the House on the quarterdeck for punishment, ranging from censure to expulsion. Let's see how those are progressing. George Santos was called on the carpet, so to speak, with a motion to expel him from the House brought by members of his own party. Santos survived the vote, 213 to 179, but 24 of the yay votes to get rid of him came from Republicans. He is dividing the conference. 31 Democrats voted against expelling him, though, with one Jamie Raskin of Maryland saying it's a terrible precedent to set expelling people who have not been convicted of a crime or without internal due process. Seeing votes not follow party lines and lockstep is encouraging. As seems to be standard procedure, Reps went to Twitter afterward to act like teenagers, with Republican Steve Womack of Arkansas, who voted to expel Santos, saying last night the house saw its shadow. Unfortunately, this means there will be two more weeks of Santos. That's pretty funny, though. (laughs) Santos responded, instead of being home, taking care of your son, you're sitting pretty in the swamp, referring to Womack's son, who pleaded guilty last month to distributing meth. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Rashida Tlaib was facing censure for anti-Semitic activity, sympathizing with terrorist organizations, and leading an insurrection at the United States Capitol Complex. It failed, being tabled 222 to 186. Every vote to bring it to the floor was from Republicans, but 23 other Republicans supported setting this aside. Republican and House Freedom Caucus member Chip Roy said the bill was deeply flawed and made legally and factually unverified claims. And back to Twitter they went, with Marjorie Taylor Greene constructing a polite, well-considered. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I couldn't finish it. No, of course she was batshit crazy, like always, going after fellow GOP member Chip Roy of Texas. Green ranted, "You voted with the Democrats to protect terrorists to leave. You hate Trump, certified Biden's election, and could care less about J-6 defendants being persecuted." She accused Roy of trying to kick her out of the HFC and complained that the group still has, quote, CNN wannabe Ken Buck and, quote, vaping groping Lauren Boebert. Roy clapped back, referencing a 2018 post by Green that claimed a laser beam from space solar generators, possibly controlled by a wealthy Jewish family, caused the California wildfires. That past tweet is what Roy meant when he told Green on Thursday, tell her to go chase so-called Jewish space lasers if she wants to spend time on that sort of thing. The best Green could come back with was calling Roy Colonel Sanders. Look, I hate this behavior. It's beneath the institution, and the American people deserve better than this. If, however, you're going to make your name being a whacked-out conspiracy theory toxic troll madge, up your game because I've seen better insults on in Facebook groups about kitty cats. Green was about to get examined for censure herself, but the Democrats pulled it after Tlaib's failed. The Green's censure was mainly a retaliation for the Tlaib one, so it was aborted. The reasons given for the failure of Tlaib's censure and the canceling of Green's was freedom of speech, with California Republican John Duarte saying about his opposition to Tlaib's censure calling Tlaib's comments inane, false, and belligerent, but that is within her freedoms. On aborting boarding green censure, Connecticut Democrat Jim Himes said freedom of expression, no matter how unpopular, must not be censored or officially sanctioned. I do declare. Was that flirtations with bipartisanship? Dear me, I've got the vapors. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.